Father, we just thank you so much that you are good to us and that you are a loving God and you care deeply for each one of us. And we just pray that we'll sense that appreciation in our life today. We pray for for peace over the coming Sabbath. We pray that you'll lead and guide us every day closer to you, that we might be more and more like Jesus. And we ask these things in his name. Amen. So as I do every morning, this is our fifth time. This is a little another little spiritual nugget I've gleaned and stored away. So I thought this was really profound. The proud heart strives to earn salvation, but both our title to heaven and our fitness for it are found in the righteousness of Christ. It's not us, right? That's what she's saying. It's not something we can do. Our fitness for heaven is in Christ. The Lord can do nothing toward the recovery of man until convinced of his own weakness and stripped of all self-sufficiency, he yields himself to the control of God. Then he can receive the gift that God is waiting to bestow. We must be stripped of all self. That's the hardest thing, it is. From the soul that feels his need, nothing is withheld. He has unrestricted access to him in whom all fullness dwells. Really profound stuff, right? All fullness. All fullness dwells in him, and we have unrestricted access. Ah, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful thought. I just, I just strive for that self to be stripped of self-sufficiency. I think that should be our prayer in the morning sometimes. We get up, just, just Lord, lead and guide us closer to you and help us to not think of ourselves first, but others, and to always put our trust in Jesus. All right. So a couple, as we have done, a couple of sites of interest. Um, this top one I'm going to go to first, and this is uh, a neat site. It is the Geo Research Institute for the, uh, I think it's operated under the General Conference, is my recollection. Um, i trying to remember now. Does anyone know Geoscience Research Institute? I think it's under General Conference. Anyway, it's probably not, doesn't matter all that much. Morning. What's that dot? Also the dot com. That is G-R-I-S-D-A dot org. G-R-I-S-D-A dot org. Very good website, full of information related to creation science and intellectual design and the like. Um, I'm just going to point you to one thing within this site. There's a lot of uh, uh, different pieces to the site, but when you want to just read sometime about different uh, science things, you come down here to where it says GRI updates, and there's a blog there. You click that little blog button and it will take you to their blog. They post there, I think on average, once or twice a month. And they post a little article that's somehow related to faith, science, or something uh, there. And you can see this top article here is a journey of faith and science. Um, And then um, they are showing you about a particular documentary here. Uh, They're doing a review of that documentary. Um, There's a lot of good information in here. So anyway, I thought you might be interested in seeing that. That's a good site. Um, and then the other one I have on here, so I got three this morning, um, ARTVnow.com. Um, is anyone familiar with this site? Yes. 
This is the Adventist Review TV site. And it's an interesting site because Adventist Review has been a magazine for years and years and years. A good magazine. And so now we have ARTVNow.com. And this is uh, the Adventist Review with a, a number of videos. And you come to this first screen, you'll just see kind of a, not a whole lot of information here. What I usually do is click on the Browse button here at the top. I don't know if you can see that, but there's a Browse button. And if you hit that, you'll go into their actual repository of all the different videos um, that they have available. And there'll be ones that are trending and others as well. And some of these are very interesting videos. So um, you can see here, we got some on Tell the World. We've got, uh, you go farther down, there's different categories. The which one? Icky Free Kids. Icky Free Kids. Okay, that one right here. Yeah, I can see that one. This guy here is saying it's kind of fun. So. Sign in on Chrome? Just tell it you don't want to. <laughs> is it, there should be a cancel button there. Yeah, just sign in. Just say, just say that one. Yeah, no thanks. You don't, you don't have to. So that original site that I went to was ARTVNow.com. ARTVNow.com. And as well, they have an app for the Android and for the iOS devices. So you can actually download the app and get to these directly that way. All right, and the third site, just want to show you really quick, is uh, no, this is nobefore.com. No B and then the number four.com. And uh, in this case, I'm in the resources section. And I just wanted you to be aware of this site because if you're ever interested in doing a little research or learning some more about security, this is a very good website, okay? to do that. Um, they have lots of very good information. You can see there's some IT security tools if you really want to get into things um, in a good way. Uh, but there's also these white papers and then there's uh, additional resources and best practices and all this kind of stuff here. Uh, they, they are, there's a very good site because they, they give a lot of stuff away. They do have a business as well. And some of the uh, Adventists uh, churches, uh, conference offices, and union offices, and I think the North American Division actually has been using them. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Any nonprofit can use it, and for-profit businesses can use this as well. So they have a they have a paid service where they will help businesses to educate their employees. That's how they make money, really. But they provide a lot of free information as well. So. It's kind of good. Nobefore.com. What was the second uh, website? ARTV? ARTVNow.com. Oh, yep, ARTVNow.com. And by the way, again, if you want to sign up in the back, I have that sign-up sheet sitting on the, um, where this gentleman here is getting ready. Yep. And if you want to put your name and email address in there, I will, once I get back to my office again, I will put these links together and send you the various links I've been showing all week. Yeah. No, just once. As long as you, yeah, right. <laughs> once is fine. Yep. And then the other site I'm going to show you really quick because we're going to, you might want to use this later and I might reference it later, but I'm going to show it to you now just because I'm in here. It's howtogeek.com. Howtogeek.com. And this is another very useful sort of tutorial 
website with lots and lots, I mean really just tons of information um, on it on how to do different things. So howtogeek.com. Like a computer geek. <laughs> howtogeek.com. You can see it there at the, uh, you can see the how to geek thing there. And, and this, they just have, if you go down through here, you know, what's the difference between the different types of tablets? Um, what smart locks should I buy? Um, let me see. How to create and work with multi-level lists and markers. Some of these are very specific, multi-level lists. Um, there was one here that I was going to look at. How to fix all of Windows 10's annoyances. <laughs> I didn't know there was a lot, but they think there's some. And I thought this was interesting. The best affordable automatic gold watches. <laughs> okay, if you ever want a gold watch, you, you got to... Yeah, how to forget, recover your forgotten Microsoft account password. Okay, that's very specific though to Microsoft, right? Yeah. They probably have one in here on other accounts things. And then the other thing at the top here is, of course, there's a search option up here on the top right. Um, it's got that little magnifying glass kind of thing there. And you hit that search button. You could type in any term you want. And, um, you know, it will come up with something. I'm just going to type in Facebook and see if they have any articles about Facebook, for instance. All right, maybe they don't. <laughs> no, there it goes. It's just a little slow coming up. Okay. Um, ever wonder how much Facebook knows about you? How to spot a fake Facebook page? So there's a lot of good stuff here on this How To Geek site. So just one other sort of bonus site for you to think to look at. All right. Yesterday, just quick review. We we talked about the importance of 2FA. What does 2FA stand for? What's that? What's that acronym mean? Anyone know? Yeah, you're close, right? You know? Right, right, right. Two-factor authentication. You got a password usually, and then a text message is your second factor or something like that. We talked about this convenience of using cloud storage. We talked a little bit about how you can use that safely. Um, and we really recommended that you back up regularly, and then we talked briefly about encrypting. Okay, so those are the topics we had yesterday. Today, um, we're going to talk specifically about these four areas. Um, securing your router. This is to be your wireless router. And we'll talk a little bit about parental controls, mobile device security, and uh, social media security and privacy. I didn't put the word security up there, but uh, security and privacy. I don't know if you heard this story in the news, but... Um, We've been talking all week a bit about passwords and making sure your account is secure and, and these kind of things. And I just noticed this story last night. Have you heard of this guy, Eric uh, Abranovich, I think is how you would say it? A very uh, virtuoso type clarinetist from Canada. So uh, Mr. Eric, uh, a number of years ago, I think it was in 2014, uh, was so well known that he was, uh, had applied to this very famous music school in California called Colburn. And there was a teacher there that only accepted two clarinetists a year. 
to, to work under him, to study with him. Just two every year. And so Mr. Uh, Eric had applied. And Coborn, and he went down there, did his, his uh, what do they call it, audition. And the university was excited about him, and they emailed him his acceptance. He was going to be one of the two for the next year. Well, <clears throat> Eric didn't see that email right away, but he had a girlfriend, and he was in good relationship, and they had shared their passwords. So his girlfriend had access to his computer and to his email. Well, she happened to see this email come in. She wasn't so excited because she's thinking, he's going to leave me. <laughs> and so she sent an email back to the university and said, acting as if she was Eric, said, I appreciate your uh, invitation to come and uh, be able to be educated under this famous uh, clarinet teacher. But unfortunately, I can't. I'm sorry. <laughs> and so... <laughs> Eric never saw, she deleted the original message from his email so he wouldn't see the message. And then, she went even a step farther, she went into Google, Gmail, and set up an actual email account that looked like the name of the professor from that university. She then used that Gmail account that she set up and sent Eric a message saying, I'm sorry, we couldn't accept you into the program. Oh, no. <laughs> I was thinking, wow. He never found out, actually, until after, quite some time later is when he finally figured all this out. They had already separated, or he had, he had broken up for some other reason. It wasn't related to this. And uh, anyway, uh, he, he did eventually find out because somehow he got back connected to that university he, was, he had applied to. And he went to the teacher and he had said to him, how come uh, you guys, you know, what, what, what was wrong with my performance that I wasn't accepted? You know, how come? And the teacher's like, wait a minute. I, uh, I got the rejection letter from you. I don't get rejected, and you rejected me. <laughs> and the teacher was very upset. <laughs> and, and so that's when, that's when they started putting pieces together, and they found out exactly what had happened. So anyway, he ended up actually suing in court this ex-girlfriend. <laughs> for $260,000 or something, the value of the scholarship he would have received. And he won. He won in court. So, but, but, you know, it's a tough thing in his life. But, so anyway, what I was thinking as I was reading that is, wow, he had just not shared those passwords. You know, it's, it's I mean, obviously if you're married, it's one thing, but you're just dating somebody. Right. Well, we hope that wouldn't have happened if yeah. they were married, but <laughs> anyway, so interesting story. Um, be careful who you share your passwords with, right? Be careful. Yeah. That's not history. I set up an <clears throat> email account in Outlook. Yep. Last night it was hacked. Really? And it sent me a message this morning. And <clears throat> somebody had sent out a bunch of junk mail yeah. on that account. So that is really surprising. Fix it back up again. I don't know how they could have gotten it. I don't know either because that's really. It was, a real, it was a good password. Yeah. I'm not sure. Very, very interesting. 
All right, so this morning, first thing here is uh, securing a router. And of course, I'm primarily referring to a wireless router, which many of you would have in your home connected to some kind of broadband modem or technology. Sometimes you have a, a wireless router like this that um, is provided by you know, the Comcast or by AT&T. But if you have your own that you can control, that's your best scenario. And there's basically three points I just want to make about this. Three simple points. The first is, typically these devices have an administrator password on them, an administrator account that can be used to configure the device. And my only appeal to you is if you have one of these, change the admin password from default. Change it to something else. And I can't tell you exactly how to do that on every one of these because they're all different. <laughs> So when you get the device, for instance, um, let's say when it's brand new out of the box and it's coming from somebody like, say, uh, Netgear, the password will be, pa uh, will be admin, I think. I think it's admin, admin. And when you first log in, they need a default one so you can get access to the device. But as soon as you're in, there's a way you can change that administrative password. That way, if someone comes to your house and, or signs into your Wi-Fi, they can't get access to the control of the device to, to configure it. So you want to change the admin password to something else. Now typically on these, when you get them, they will come with some instruction on how to do that. Um, if you have any question though, most of the time it's fairly easy to find out how to do this on the internet. You just type in the model of your uh, wireless router and type in there, change admin password, and I can almost guarantee you there will be an article somewhere on the internet that will tell you how to do it. So it's pretty, pretty, pretty much that's what you need to do. The second thing I'm, I'm mentioning here is when you set up your Wi-Fi um, uh, system on your router, set it up for WPA2 level security. That is the very best way at this point in time that you can secure access to your router and secure the traffic that's flowing between your wireless device and your router. Um, that is the standard, and, and actually, probably in most cases, if you were to go buy one today and set it up, it might even be on by default. Um, is, not, is not turned on to WPA2? So when you connect to it, one way of telling is on a Windows machine, on the little wireless router list that you see of Wi-Fi devices, you should see a little lock next to the ones that are actually have WPA2 turned on. Yeah, it's like, I think it's like a little lock that shows up. Is it? Let me look at mine. I, I'm saying that off my head and I'm, I'm questioning what I'm saying here as I'm telling you that. So let me just look. But you know, you can get that wireless list on your laptop by clicking on the Wi-Fi icon in the bottom right corner. And as you see the list of those devices, I don't know if you can see that on these machines here because they don't have any Wi-Fi. Actually, you know, it doesn't do that anymore. It's simply, yeah, on here, on your phone, that's what I'm thinking. On your phones, there's a little padlock next to the ones that are secured. On your computer, on Windows 10, it simply says secured, the word secured next oh, to the yes, ones that, yeah. Okay. yeah. That's how you tell. Yeah, actually for a password or a key as you connect to it. Stupid password, nobody will remember, like yeah. giant toes or something. Right, right. So that's only for the wireless. 
Only for the wireless, correct. Yep. And then the third thing, so we talked about changing the admin password, WPA2 security. Third is, I would, if you, if you can, and it would be good to change your DNS to OpenDNS on the device. What is DNS? Uh, domain name service. Okay. What? Domain name service. And OpenDNS, uh, if you remember on Wednesday, Todd Gardner was here, and he talked about how that is one of the layers of security they use here at the academy. A lot of schools use it. And it just provides sort of a baseline security so that you don't get to websites that will get you into trouble. That includes blocking on a baseline adult content websites. And they do this for free. So OpenDNS for family use is free. You can buy a premium package, I think, but for most people, the free OpenDNS works quite nicely to block basic content and get you out of, keep you out of trouble. I'm gonna show you on the next slide here how, where you can go to know how to set that up. The nice thing about OpenDNS is they provide this huge list of all the different wireless routers almost made and instructions on how to change to OpenDNS on each of those wireless routers. So, and just a final note here, if you have a guest Wi-Fi option, you could turn that on. That means when people come to your house, instead of logging into your primary Wi-Fi router, they, uh, they log into the guest portion of that. And that prevents them from getting to anything you have hooked up. The guest Wi-Fi is like a little area where they have very limited access. The only thing they can get to is the internet. But if you give them your password, they could probably get to your computers. The guest Wi-Fi, does it also, is it also screened by the DNS where it doesn't allow? Yes, yes, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yep, absolutely. And, uh, you know, just so you know, obviously, <laughs> it doesn't block everything. There's no, there's no guarantee you're gonna block everything. Like Todd was saying that on Wednesday as well here. The Academy does a fantastic job. They have really good software, but can they 100% guarantee that they block everything that's bad? There's no way. It's just not, it's not technically possible, so. But you know, sometimes when you type in a wrong word and then that stuff comes through. Yes, so you know, they, yeah. They, they, they do, they do. It's a, it's a game and they're, they're trying to figure out how to get to you and you're trying to figure out how to keep the, from seeing the junk. So they, they play this game all the time. So here's uh, just my little quick slide um, on web filtering and time limits. These are parental control issues, okay? Um, but you know what? I like to have parental controls on on my computer. <laughs> I don't care to see all the junk. So I just as soon have everything set up as filtered as possible because I just want to go and see good stuff. So I actually run OpenDNS. Um, we run it at the union office too. Uh, all our computers are set up that way. But here's the website that I want to tell you about. Um, OpenDNS.com slash setup guide slash hashtag family shield. Okay. And if you go to that website, it has detailed instructions for almost every wireless router in the world that's been manufactured on how to turn on OpenDNS. So... Um, and just, just so you have just a sense of what DNS does and, and why this is helpful, uh, it's very simple what DNS does. You type in the name of the website you want to go to. So you type in, let's say, misda.org, because you want to go to the Michigan Conference website. 
What DNS does is it says, you, if, as soon as you type that in, the first thing that happens is that goes to a DNS server, and the DNS server says, looks up misda.org, and it says, oh, that's that IP address 199.277.32.60. It essentially, all it does is translate the real English domain name to an actual IP address that is used to go to that website on the internet. So it's the translator between the, the English domain name and the actual IP address of the website. And because that has to happen, every time you go to a website and you're running something that, is, that can stand in the middle, it's the DNS server, when someone sends a request to the DNS server for a site that's bad, say, um, it could be just gambling100.com, the DNS server, if it's turned on, it says, I'm not going to let you go there. And it doesn't send back the real IP address. It simply sends back an IP address of a web server that will say, you're not allowed to go there. And so it's a pretty simple way to block. Can you get around it? You can get around it, okay? It's not foolproof. But for most people, they're not going to figure out how to do that. You were going to ask something? Or? Right. Oh, <laughs> I don't even know if that's a real site. <laughs> I was just making it up, yeah. Okay, so that's one, one way to help control where people are going on the internet. And of course, that works strictly at your house on your router. And so if someone is not at the house, or if one of your kids is, say, off at a friend's house, it's not going to make any difference because they're, they're on the friend's home router, not on yours. So this only works on your router at your house. The next one works uh, across device and across location. Uh, I don't even know how to pronounce it. I always say custodial, but it's with a Q, so I don't know. Anyway, this is, a, this is more for families that really want to spend some dollars to protect their kids. And it is software that will load, has to be loaded on every device that you want your kid to use and you sign in with their, they have an account, and you have an account as a parent, and then Custodio will do additional web filtering beyond what OpenDNS can do. Um, and it does a very good job. It's, it's, it's close to as well as what the academy here is using for the kids. Um, and it also will do time limits, and it can be put on Windows machines, on Apple machines, iPhone, iPads, and Android devices. So any kind of device, basically, that someone can use, uh, that a child might use, you can put Custodio on it. So I just want to be aware of that. And then the next one I mentioned here is the one that Todd mentioned on Wednesday, is the Disney uh, Circle with Disney device, which is a very nice device, um, and it does a fantastic job as well. Just realize the difference between Custodio and Circle is Custodio works no matter where the device is, because it's the software loaded on the device. So if the child takes the device with them to a friend's house, Custodio is still working on that device. Circle works only in your home. Okay, so it's only available while you're at your house. Now, so there's advantages and disadvantages to both, right? Is that the one that you had on your, as an app that really helped you see what's going on based on your office or? Right. That's the circle one. You have very, very good control. And, some, and the nice thing with circle is if someone comes into your house, okay, 
a, a friend of one of your kids, and they have a device with them, they cannot access the internet at your house until you give them access. Circle prevents any access to the internet, period, until you provide, you turn it on, you're intentional. Um, so that's the nice thing about Circle. Custodio cannot do that, okay? Once you've turned so. it on and they come back the second time, do you have to turn it on every time? No, no, no. Once you've turned it on for them, it'll so be on. Yeah. Oh, you could turn it off after when they leave. I mean, you have control, so you can slide the, the button and say, I don't want that person to have access anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it's not permanently on, so you, you can control it. Yeah. Um, and then the final one I'm mentioning is here because I don't know if it's much parental control. I would say for older kids, it might be useful. I like it really well, but it only works on Windows machines, and it's called Rescue Time. And it's essentially a time management program. And the reason I mention this is just because um, as kids get older, you try to give them more sort of ability to control themselves. And I started using this with my son, Zachary, who's 15. Um, and it sits there and basically monitors what you're doing. It doesn't prevent you from doing anything, but it monitors what you're doing and it records what you do and it logs it. And so then what I can do is uh, once a week, I can sit down with Zachary and we'll go into rescue time into the console and we'll look at what he's been doing and say, you know, is this, is this good that you're doing this? Do you, do you feel comfortable how much time you're spending on this kind of a, a program? You know, I see you've spent an hour and a half uh, playing the uh, Minecraft game. You know, are you comfortable doing that? Is there something you want to do different? And so it's, it's more of a, a, a tool you can use to have a dialogue with an older child. But also a lot of businesses use it for their employees. So they have a business model that, uh, you know, if a business is, they're wondering, okay, are my employees sitting on Facebook all the time? What are they doing with their time while they're here at the office? That's, they use rescue time to, to help monitor, monitor that. Rescue time only works, as far as I know, on Windows machines and maybe Macs. It does not work on portable mobile devices at this point. And just a side note, uh, just so you know, uh, the next version of iOS, iOS is, of course, the operating system on iPads and iPhones. The next version of iOS is going to have a time management program built in of some kind. They have not had it, but they're going to add time management and time restrictions into these devices, into the OS level, which is really going to be pretty nice. So it makes it much easier to control what kids are doing once they do that. That's iOS 12. It should be out sometime this summer. All right. Now we're going to switch gears here and talk just a little bit about um, security and privacy. And we're going to talk about mobile devices and we're going to talk about social media. But it's probably good to understand the difference between security and privacy so you know, we can look at these things independently and, and what, how they relate to each other. Um, if you think of a house and what you have uh, in terms of security and privacy at your home, security at home means what? How do you secure your home? What are you doing to keep it secure? You have doors with locks on them, right? To prevent access into the house, right? You might have... Um, an alarm system that would be part of a security for your home or for your business. But what does it mean when we say privacy at your home? What are we talking about there? Curtains around the windows. Exactly. Curtains around the windows. 
privacy is what I'm doing. I don't want people to see necessarily what I'm doing in my house. That's privacy. And there is some relationship between the two, right? So if you didn't have good security, someone could walk into your house and hide out somewhere and you wouldn't have privacy. <laughs> so there's a relationship between the two. But privacy really has to do with sort of being able to say, I only want people to see uh, what's going on in my house, who I want to see what's going on. I don't want just anybody necessarily to see what I'm doing. So that's the privacy aspect of it. Um, and then why does this matter to us? Why do we care about privacy uh, in general? Um, and I think, you know, we've had a sense of privacy in the United States for a long time. It's almost like it's inherent in our Constitution. We have a right to privacy. I don't know if it exactly says that, but, but there's a certain sense that if I don't have privacy, do I really have freedom of thought and speech? Can I really say and do what I want if I know that the government is snooping on everything I'm doing? Maybe not, right? Maybe I wouldn't say or write the exact way if I knew everything I wrote and everything I said, the government might be overlooking, looking over my shoulder. And I think it's also just a matter of respect, right? That we respect people, that they can have privacy in their lives. Um, and it also puts, I think, a limit on the power of the government. That if there's a privacy, then I don't have to be as concerned that if I'm opposed to the current uh, administration and I'm going to write about that, that I don't have to worry that somehow the government's going to know that and kind of come after me that I have that right to privacy. And, you know, in the United States, I, I, it's hard to say where we are right now. I, I really, I don't know. It's, it's, there's a lot of written material right now about where this is and what, what, what the government's doing. Um, the whole Snowden affair um, was a huge, huge deal because he was saying, look, the NSA is out there and they have the capability to look at lots of different things, um, including into emails and social media and all that. And I will say this, I believe at this point in time, it's technically possible that they could do it. In other words, is there computer systems, is there methodologies that would allow that to happen? Pretty sure it could happen, pretty sure. Snowden demonstrated they were doing it. Yeah, yeah. The question was on what level, I think. He did say they were, and I think there's, there's implications they are. It's just how much data are they collecting? How much of what we say? So, for instance, one of the things that was discussed was they're recording all the uh, logs of every phone call made. Okay, well, there's two different ways they could be doing that, right? They could be recording simply the number you call and how long you talked, or they could be recording the entire conversation. Those are two very different things, right? And to my knowledge, what we know for sure is that they are probably logging all the call information, the log information, what we sometimes call metadata. That's the numbers, the time, the location, but not necessarily the content. I don't, I don't know that for sure. I just know from what I've read that's where it seems to be. But technically, the question I had is technically, could could they record the actual call, for instance? Would they have the facilities and the databases and the, and the amount of storage needed to do that? 
uh, it's probably possible today for them to do that. Amazingly as it sounds, there's a lot of data storage available. I have heard that they have certain words that terrorists would use, bomb, uh, different different words that they would flag. Yeah. And they would record when they heard that word. They would hear that word. Yeah. That would make more sense to me. I was having a conversation with a friend, and she said that her her son had bombed out of a class. Well, the FBI showed up on her doorstep. Really? What that was all about. Yeah. So she had to explain what. Yeah. Because we live in a very high tech world today. We do. Very true. Very true. Uh, and one thing you complain about when they do it, and another thing when certain things happen, and become a, a complain about why they didn't, why they didn't do it. Why, why didn't they act and follow up? Right, and and the challenge is that we have, if they are doing what we're suggesting, okay, they have a huge amount of data, yeah. okay, it's gigantic, and so sometimes it's like trying to find a, a needle in a haystack. Right? There's just too much information, so it's difficult for them to locate it. And this is the story of what happened in this uh, swatting event. I, do you know what swatting is? Have you heard that term? Yeah. Swatting is where um, a, it happens primarily in the gaming world. Um, and basically, a, if someone gets irritated or upset at a, at a gamer, they will call the police on a fake call and say at this person's address there's a uh, someone is being tortured they're being held against their will there's a kidnapping event going on and they'll get the police to go there and make a stink right and and, and of course the police find nothing and it's but it's just an irritant to the person it's also against the law it's also against the law right and it, and so an incident happened last year where there was two gamers and they were they were going at it each other online and they were, they were having a discussion, they were arguing, and they were uh, basically you know, fighting on the internet verbally. And the one said, well, uh, tell me your address because I'm coming over. Well, the guy that, you know, that, that's on the recipient of that said, I'm not giving him my real address. So he gave him some address some other place that he didn't even know, but it still existed. It was a real address. Uh, and then the other gamer, did a SWAT on him. He called the police and said at that address, there's a kidnapping going on, and I believe there's a little child involved. It's very crazy. There's torture. There's all this stuff. He gave him a whole line. The police go to that house. This family has no idea, right? The guy walks out his door. There's police all over. He just puts his hand in his pocket because he doesn't know what's happening. They killed him. They killed him. And so the police thought, He's pulling something. And they had this story. And so this stuff is dangerous, right? It's very dangerous. But my point is that of all the information the NSA has and law enforcement has and monitoring stuff, they couldn't stop that, right? Because there's too much information. They don't know. They have no idea. So it's dangerous. It's not just government and privacy. Companies. Companies, too. are doing this. Right. Uh, a few weeks ago, my wife and I, in our home, yeah. We're discussing buying a product. Neither one of us had done any research on it, nor did we afterwards. And we started getting YouTube videos about that product for days. <laughs> really? That was a bit of a, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that could happen. No, but I, 
like I said, I can only think of a couple of answers. One, of the microphone on the computer. The yeah. Smoke detectors have microphones in them. Some of them do if they're smart detectors, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how that one is. I, have, I haven't heard of that uh, particular one, but maybe, maybe. All right, let's switch over here now and just look at, I was getting into that because I want to come into mobile device security. And I think most of you are aware and are, are in your thinking on this that if you have a mobile device of any kind, an iPad, an iPhone, smartphone, Android, that number one, you put a passcode on it. Um, it's a very uh, elementary security. But I still see phones and people walking around without any passcode on their device. Uh, I have well, you don't have a smartphone, so it doesn't, no. it's not a big deal for you. Yeah, right. But for those that have smartphones, smart devices, passcode's pretty simple. Basic line, baseline security. If you lose your phone, at least the person can't just hop in there and start using it and look at all your information, okay? And the second reason why that's important is because you also want to encrypt the data on your devices. And you say, well, I don't know, that's a lot of work. Actually, on an iPhone, as soon as you turn on your passcode, it encrypts the phone. It's automatic. So that's another reason you want a passcode, because <laughs> as soon as you turn that on, you now have an encrypted device. So very useful, uh, very important. Um, on Android devices, I believe there is a methodology for encrypting it. I haven't spent as much time on them, so I don't know right off my head. Second thing here, or third thing I should say, I highly recommend setting up the remote wipe capability. Okay. So what that means is if I lose my device, I have no idea what's happened to it, and I'm not going to get it back, I can go into the iCloud, or in the case of Google, into Google Sync um, for an Android device, log into my account, and there's a button there that says wipe the device. And instantly that device is erased, there's nothing left on it to read. And so, um, so it's just a really good security feature, right? That way no one can read what was left on your phone. So you can do that from any other device to your... Mm -hmm. You can log in on your computer to iCloud or to Google Sync. And then you better set all your information to iCloud also beforehand. You will lose the information on your device Right, yeah. so you have to know that you, you really want to do that, right? Because if you have information on there that you don't want to lose, you don't want to do the wipe. But if you lost your phone, you're just leaving. Yes, if you lost your phone, you, there's no way you're getting it back. Yeah. yeah. It, it says encryption on my phone it takes about an hour or more. Yeah, that may be. Yeah. yeah, it takes a little while to do it. Suggest you have your device connected to a charger before you do it. Yeah, yep, 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 makes sense. Here's a couple other quick points. Um, back up your device regularly, okay? On an iOS device, like an iPhone or an iPad, you can do that two ways. You can do it via the iCloud, um, which is what they're pushing at, uh, at Apple to do it, because it, it's convenient and it's quick and it's easy. The second option is you can do it via iTunes. So you install iTunes on either a Windows computer or iTunes on an Apple computer. 
and you connect your device via your USB cable to your computer, it will talk directly into iTunes, and you can push the button in iTunes to back it up. And then all the information that's stored on your mobile device will then flow over and be stored on your computer. If you have an Android device, there is an app called Easy Backup and Restore. Easy Backup and Restore. And that was a, is very similar to the iTunes, uh, but it's for Android devices and it gives you that ability. Also on Android devices, there are ways in there to back up most of your information into the Google Cloud as well. And so um, depends on what you're worried about or concerned about. This is in terms of the actual, all the settings and everything you have on your device. This backs up the entire thing. Um, for pictures and contacts, most of that stuff will already be synced up to the cloud if you're using the default settings on these devices. Um, and the fifth option here is for Android specifically, um, I would highly recommend an antivirus, anti-malware software on Androids. Um, there is a lot less security built into the Android OS, in my opinion, than there is in iOS. And so to help counter that, if you're running Android, grab yourself one of these antivirus malware programs. ESET is very good, um, but it is, a, it, is a, it is a cost involved. But Avast is one that's free and also will take care of that for you. So that's another. For your iPhone, you're saying it has more security, so it doesn't need it? Doesn't need it. No, especially if you put in that, uh, that passcode. Yeah. Yeah. It uses a passcode. Like for me to turn on my phone, I have to put in a four digit code that's required by my company. You, all iPhones can have that. It's under, it's under your studies. Yeah. Right. Androids have that too. But the other thing that, that the iOS devices have is that every app runs in what's called a sandbox environment. So when that app runs, it can only get to things that you've given it access to. Android is a little less secure in that sense. Apps have this ability to talk to other apps and move data back and forth. That cannot happen on an iOS device. So I, here's the thing. I know Apple devices are a little bit more expensive, and some people refer to them as the Cadillacs. Um, but I, I'm convinced that they, the reason they're more expensive is because Apple spends more time trying to figure out how to secure them, and it makes its money primarily off the sale of the device. Android, who is owned by Google, does not make most of their money from the sale of the device. They make their money from advertising. And so they're interested in trying to figure out how to get more advertising and things to you through their devices. Apple doesn't care. They're not making a lot of money on advertising. So it doesn't matter to them uh, you know, if, if you look at an advertisement or not. They made their money on the sale of the device. So that's why I'm kind of a little bit biased to the iOS devices at this point. Um, I'm going to show you in a minute some of the privacy and security settings on iOS. So we'll go through that. And the other thing I was going to say here and emphasize, I, I would really encourage you not to jailbreak your phones. I know some people want to do this because they feel like they can get into other things. As soon as you jailbreak it, though, you're removing a bunch of security features. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> jailbreaking simply means... Yeah, yeah. Simply means that you're you're removing the original software that's on the device and installing software that gives you access to the underlying operating system and the features in that operating system. 
It's like getting in behind the OS so that you have full control over that device. But as soon as you have full control, the apps can have that full control as well. So it's actually more dangerous in my opinion. Don't worry about it. If you don't know what it is, then you don't need to. You don't need to, you don't need to do it. Most people probably don't do that, but there are, there are kids that especially like to do this because they think it's really cool that they can. Um, and then just a final little sort of warning here on, on back doors. So just a note on back doors, I think that's where I was. Um, a back door is where someone that should not have access um, is given that access through a very um, nefarious kind of way to get into the device. In other words, um, it might be given to a government or some other kind of entity so that when you have your device completely secured, everything is set up exactly the way it should be, this entity still has like this back way into your device to access your data. So Apple has said for many years that there are no back doors to iOS devices. There is no way for the government to get into or any company to get into your iOS device. There was big lawsuits over this. The FBI sued Apple over this because they wanted access to a criminal's iPhone and um, they said, Apple said, we're not doing it. Sue us or take us to court. And I, I don't remember how that all happened, but I know that they did not get that access. But since then, since then, I, I do not believe that Apple has created a backdoor, but there is material on the internet that would tell you, if you go and look this up, that there are ways for companies to break into an iPhone if they have the right types of technology and devices. Do I think that's possible? I do. They do the best they can, but that doesn't mean it's invincible. Just like you can put the best lock on your house, it doesn't make it invincible. Okay? You do your best. So I'm just wanting to throw that up and say to you, look, everybody does their best with all the security, but that doesn't mean that it's 100% Fort Knox. There may be a way. Okay? Um, and then let's just look now really quick at some of these security options that are in an iOS device. Um, sorry, I don't have Android, but uh, I do have the uh, iPad here. So if you go into settings on an iOS device um, and you go down to your uh, general uh, security, no, no, I want to go, uh, sorry, I want to go down further. I want to go down to touch ID and passcode. You'll see that on the left. And you have to, of course, enter your password here to get into this, right? And you'll see here that I've, I can, it says turn password off on the right there. It would normally, if I hadn't set a passcode there, it would say turn passcode on. So that's where you turn it on to start with. Um, and you'll notice here at the very bottom, I know it's in small print, I don't know if you can see that, the very right side at the bottom, it says data protection is enabled. That, that's what you're looking for. If you see that data protection is enabled on your iOS device, that tells you that the data on this iOS device is encrypted. That's what that means. So if you're ever curious and you're like, wait a minute, is mine encrypted? Do I have my device encrypted? That's how you find out right there. Um, you can add fingerprints on iOS devices. Uh, it's a privacy personal choice issue. To the best of my knowledge, 
when you scan your fingerprint, it only stays on the device. They don't upload your fingerprint to the cloud or store it any other place. They only store it locally. So I do use the fingerprint thing on my iPhone. I have not turned it on on my iPad, but I do on my, on my phone. Um, okay, so that's the security there. Um, I would recommend using a six-digit number um, when, you do your, um, when you do your passcode. Um, Mm-hmm. Um, why am I not getting in here? What did I do? Your password will be used to unlock the iPad and protect guys. Yeah, okay. Oh, wait a minute. I don't want to do that. Let's see what I was doing. This is just to enter the device, the six-digit password. Yeah, yeah. I believe they will let you use a four, or they used to at least let you use a four. Yeah, I like the six. Uh, I like the six. Yeah. See that says data protection is enabled. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's telling you that this um, is enabled. Now the other thing I want to show you on here, there's a lot of there's a lot of different access controls on here. You can see it says allow access when locked. That's hard to see on there, but I can't uh, increase that size. But on that right column. You got today's view, recent notifications, control center, home control. What it's saying is that even when the iPad is, is locked and that passcode has to be entered, those items there can still be accessed. So you can turn those on or off. And I haven't done it on this device specifically because I wanted to show you. So usually what I will do here is I will turn off the um, Siri and the control center and the home center on these devices, those three. I usually shut off. You, I mean, it's up to you, but if you turn off control center like what I'm doing here, it does make it a little bit more challenging when you're listening to music and things like that to pause and play because that pause and play is through the control center. So if you disable it here and you got the screen locked, you have to unlock the screen every time in order to get to your controls. So preferences there. Now the other one at the very bottom here, you have to really think about, okay, because <laughs> it says erase data. Okay, you can see I have erase data enabled. What that means is, in this fine print underneath there that tells you this, that this device will automatically erase itself after 10 failed attempts. So I have that on, but you have to be really cautious, right? Because if you forget your password and you do a bunch of failed attempts, you just erase your device. <laughs> so, but it's a security feature, right? So if somebody steals your device, you know, you, get less, you have less worry. If they try a few times, 10th try, the device is gone. All the data is erased. So that's good there. And then the other thing I want to show you on here is privacy. So on the left side, you'll see I was at Touch ID and Passcode. Now I'm going to Privacy. Um, and you'll see here that there are a number of uh, types of things that, can, uh, that apps could have access to. Okay, location services is one. You can actually turn that one off entirely. That's the GPS on your device, right? And then under location services are all these different apps and things, and you can decide how you want each of those apps to access your GPS or to have no access to your GPS. So you can see here I have the camera, and I can say the camera can have access to my GPS while I'm using the app, but not while I'm not. Some people don't like it to have access at all. So they'll set this to never. Because they don't want the camera, when it takes a picture, 
to record their location. It's a privacy issue. It's up to you. Do you want pictures to be tagged with your location or not? Um, it's convenient because when you're looking at your pictures online somewhere, it tells you where that picture was taken, the exact location. So it's kind of nice in that sense. Right. But, you know. Right. Right, and so here's the, the disadvantage to that. You take a picture of your car that you're going to sell on Craigslist. You upload that picture to Craigslist. That picture will have the location of where you just took, you know, that, where that car is. Maybe that's not just a great thing, right? You might have some people that might decide to do something negative because they know where your car is located. Right, so you upload the picture immediately to Facebook, you're on vacation in Hawaii, and all your friends now know where you are. And that you're not home, right? <laughs> That's happened, yeah. Serious things have happened as a result of that, yeah. And then here's, uh, on the, this side over here, is other types of things. So for instance, I have on here camera. Um, what other apps have access to my camera? Um, Okay. Uh, no, I'm sorry, that's location services. Let me, let me hop out of location services. I wanted to go to photos, actually. So I have photos stored on my, on my iOS device. And here is a list of the programs or apps on my device that can access my photos. And you could do this, so you could have, you know, if you had a Facebook app, I don't have Facebook loaded on here, but if I had Facebook, Facebook could be, would be one option here that would have access to my photos but I can come in here and turn that off. I may not want Facebook to have access to, direct access to my photos. So I'm just saying you can go through these privacy things. Yeah. Right. Sure. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Right. You could turn it off. Turn it completely off. Absolutely. But you have to realize if you turn it off and you're using it for GPS so you can get somewhere, you won't be able to get there. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you have to think about that. Go the old-fashioned way. Oh, boy, I don't know. <laughs> All right, I'm just going to go over now to my computer. I just want to show you a little bit on Facebook, about privacy and security on Facebook. I got a, a slide up. Whoops, I had a slide up. I just grabbed the, uh, the connection here. Um, but there's a lot of discussion about Facebook right now and social media use in general. Um, and I would just encourage you to, um, to be a little bit cognizant if you're, doing, if you're a big Facebooker, um, what you're doing on Facebook. Um, I want to mirror my screen here. Uh, where's that? Uh, are any, do any of you here use, currently use Facebook? Okay. Yeah, it can be dangerous, and I would say that there are certainly um, reasons why you might not want to be on it. I have a, I have a good friend that works for uh, down in Washington, D.C. He's uh, a contractor, uh, programming contractor, and he's, he's on Facebook, but he doesn't really post much. You know, very, very cautious. Yeah, you don't see much on his account. But... Um, let me just show you a couple things here on Facebook just so you get an idea um, on what you might do. Over here on the far right corner on Facebook is a drop-down menu, and you'll see settings. 
Okay, this is where you can change all kinds of things related to the way Facebook behaves. Um, and you'll see on the left now, there's a menu of items for settings. You can click on the security and login, um, and that will be your, where you can change the behavior of uh, Facebook. So um, here's the things I want to show you. You can, of course, change your password. And if you're using Facebook, a really good password is super important. And that that password you use on Facebook, you don't use it anywhere else. You just use it on Facebook. So absolutely, on these social media accounts, do not reuse passwords. Uh, number one way Facebook accounts get hacked is reuse passwords. Okay. And then the second thing is, you can see, use two-factor authentication here. Turn that on. Absolutely, on your social media accounts, use two-factor authentication. That's the second way you can make sure that no one's getting into your... Uh, into your um, account. Uh, and all the stuff that's in here are very, is very useful uh, when you're trying to um, get here. I'm going to show you one other thing down here, a couple other things actually. See where it says get alerts about unrecognized logins? Absolutely should turn that on. So what happens there is if someone logs into your Facebook account from some unknown location or some un, un, uh, unrecognized location, um, Facebook will send you an email and say, hey, we just saw somebody log into your account. Does that, does that make sense to you? Is that good? Right? And so you want to you make sure you, you turn that on. And then this is another one. I, I haven't done this one. I've been thinking about it. But um, there's a way you could tell Facebook, here are my three trusted, absolutely trusted friends. And then that, Facebook will use those three friends as a way to verify you if something happens to your account. So let's say your account gets hacked. Facebook will contact those three friends that you've listed and say to them, okay, who is the real person here? Is this, is this legit that this person is trying to get in? So you have to do some work on the back end because you may need to call those friends and say to them, I'm trying to get into my Facebook account. When Facebook contacts you, can you tell them it is me that's trying to get in? Okay. Okay. You have such great security on your Facebook. Who can go then to your Facebook? Well... <laughs> You mean who could I hack into my account? No, just who will see what you're doing. Oh. Because most people say they put Facebook up there so that everybody knows what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a different issue, right, than security. So what we're talking about here is to secure it so someone can't log in or pretend to be me. What you're talking about is a privacy issue. Who can see my posts? Let me show you that here in just a minute, how, how we can do that. So those are the main things I wanted to say about security. You can also up here, let me see where it is, where you're logged in. You can see this here, this where you're logged in. Well, wait a minute now. And you can see I have an iPhone logged in here, came in from Cedar Lake, so I use my iPhone to connect, my iPad. And I'm a little bit curious as I'm looking at this, because <laughs> I haven't been to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania recently. And, <laughs> It thinks I logged in from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, that one I know, because that's me. I always use mobile safari. So it's possible, but the, it's, it's also very unlikely. The more likely scenario is I was using a hotspot or something somewhere that somehow is actually geolocated in Philadelphia, even though I'm not physically there. So this, what I'm telling you is this stuff here is good, 
but it's not necessarily a guarantee that that's exactly where I was. So when I'm at the union office and I log in, union office is in Berrien Springs, it'll say I'm in Chicago when I log in there. Yeah, and because of some connection that they're using on the fiber link. So I just want to, you know, it's good information, but you know, you don't want to get too crazy. Yeah, yeah, just, just, just watch a little bit. All right, really quickly now, we're just going to go to Facebook itself. We're going to look at some posts because I want to show you a couple things. Uh, let me see if I can find one here that would be good to look at. You can see I got a fair number of posts. Everything looks good. Okay, here's one right here. You're scrolling down through your list of posts and you see this. What is different with this post than a regular post? It's an advertisement. It's an advertisement. Very good. You guys are sharp. You guys are very sharp. Yeah. You saw Target, and what, what's right under Target? Sponsored. Anytime you see the word sponsored, it's advertising. Somebody paid for that post. And sometimes those are fine. I mean, they're kind of innocuous, like, Target, but sometimes they can be a little bit more um, not so uh, not so interesting, or maybe even something you don't want to deal with. So, well, they don't. Yeah, they don't. They don't know you specifically. Facebook sells advertising, and they have very granular ability to sell that advertising. So they'll say to the advertisers, "We will post that advertisement on everybody within 15 miles of Cedar Lake." that's at least 50 years old and attends church. And, it, and they glean that kind of information from you. And then it's, so it's very targeted advertising, sometimes. But Target may say to Facebook, we want this post to show on every Facebook user in Michigan. And Facebook can do that as well. So they have, the, the advertiser doesn't know you personally, and it can't, they can't target you personally, but you're in some group that they are targeting. Yeah. Yeah, you can hide the advertising. Yes, yes, that's correct. Yeah, you can block anything. That's what the other thing I was going to show you here. If I can find one I want to block. Um, here's another. Here's another sponsored post. You can see that it looks very close to a real, a real post, but you got that word sponsored there again, and that's how you know that that's not real, or it's not. I shouldn't say it's not real, but it's that it's a paid advertisement, a paid post. Um, let me just see if I can find one. Here's another one from Amazon, a paid post. And you guys were talking about them knowing what you're doing and targeting you. This is, another, this is an ad where they targeted me. Okay. You can see what they're selling here. They're trying to advertise to me as tent posts. Tent pegs, I'm sorry, or yeah, stakes. I know I searched for this last week. <laughs> so that was absolutely targeted. Um, and then let me just see if I can find one there. A lot of good stuff in here. Um, I was looking for one I don't like to see very often, and I'm not finding one. Like a lot of times, I'll block posts for people that are um, um, something I'm not really that interested in, or if they're posting a lot of political stuff. But maybe I've blocked enough now. Yeah. Yeah, and that can happen. I haven't seen it much, but you're right. Um, it can happen in Facebook. Um, another sponsored, yep. Um, can you block um, certain 
Right, right. So the, not the uh, not directly, but the type of advertising. Yeah, let me show you. Let me go back up to the to an advertisement. I'll show you. You can do that with any post, actually. But as here's so here's an advertisement for the Ridge Wallet. See the three dots right here. Yeah. Click on those, and you can say hide this ad and see fewer ads like this. So hide the ad and see fewer. You can also report the ad if it's offensive. Okay. But typically, if you don't like that particular type of ad, that's the way you block it, is to hide that, that type of ad. And I'm going to show you on another post. I was trying to find an actual post that I didn't like, but I don't see one. Okay, let's just do this one here. So let's say this is a friend of mine from high school. Um, you know, she posts good stuff. But let's say that for some reason I didn't like one of her posts or whatever. I can hide that post from her as well. Um, so I don't see that anymore. But the other thing I can do is um, I can snooze her. So I could say, I don't want to see anything from her for 30 days. <laughs> so that's another option. And then another one I can do, the, the sort of the more drastic one, is I can unfollow her completely. Now, what that does is kind of nice in a way, because I don't want to offend her, right? But it makes it so I don't see any of her posts. Right, but she doesn't know that I'm not seeing her posts, and I'm still her friend on Facebook, so I haven't be defriended her. I just, you know, for, for whatever reason, of course, not with this particular person. That's not the case. But if I did, I have actually done that with a few friends because, I mean, I, I enjoy Facebook to some level, but I don't want to see every day a political statement. Okay, <laughs> just on and on about you know, or a repost of something. It's just. Anyway, there's, there's good... Yes, you can. Right, right. You can unfollow them temporarily, and then later you can go back and, and refollow them. Yeah. Well, somebody put something that's really kind of crude on there. It was not my opinion, my son's, and I just don't block them. Yeah, block them. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And I just want to show you the same thing that, that happens on Facebook, happens on all news websites pretty much. There's paid content, and so if you're going through CNN and you're just looking through it, and everything looks good here, um, and then you see this thing here, 2018's best CDs. See that one right there? Oh, you're like, oh, that's kind of cool. CNN's that particular one is an advertisement. That's not real news. And you can see right above that where it says. Advertisement and then paid partner content. And as soon as you see that, this, these three items right here, this lending tree, my finance, and compare cards, those are all advertisements. That's advertising right there on that, that little box on the right. And some of this is done really subtly. So, uh, and the reason I'm showing you this is because I've seen so many people repost stuff that is sensational and it's paid content, it's not real news. And look at this line right here. The deadliest animals are Earth that are extremely, and you're getting really interested in this, and note that that is in the middle of a paid content block as well. Okay, so you're on CNN's website. It's a good news source, but there's paid advertisement in the middle there, and you just you got to pay attention, be cognizant of what is and isn't the real news. And you do this with a newspaper too, right? But it seems like it's more subtle when it's on a website. 
Last thing I was going to say is on social media, if you really don't want to do it anymore, you can delete or deactivate your Facebook account. They do give you that option. So you can completely remove yourself. Deactivate, if you deactivate, it simply means you're going to maintain your account, but no one can see any of your content on Facebook once you deactivate it. It's like you disappear from the Facebook world. When someone passes away, does a family member have to go in there? Family member needs to go in. If they can get in. If they can get in. Yeah. If someone passes away, how do you gain access to their account? There's no easy way. You need to know their password, typically. If you wanted to deactivate it or you wanted to change it. Like if so-and-so's birthday, wish someone had their birthday, they've been dead for two years. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a way in Facebook to mark them as someone can go in and mark and say this person is deceased and leave the content in place, but just so that Facebook knows and then they will remove certain types of things. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.